I mentioned how uh, my first Vipassana teacher, Indian Anagarika Monindra, Monindraji, uh, asked me <clears throat> why I wanted to practice Vipassana. I said, I'd like to get to know myself. Uh, and he said, okay, sit down and take a look. Obviously, of course. Uh, but it doesn't end there. Self-knowing is something that's ongoing. It's uh, when you realize what's at stake. Uh, it's not separate from living. It, all it means is we humans uh, have this ability to be conscious of what's happening to us as we live out our life. We're living out our life and we're also able to be aware of what that's like. And uh, we're making the most of that when we remind ourselves again and again to stay awake to what our experience is and to learn from it. And it's not limited to a cushion, obviously, as vital, I think, as retreats and silent sitting are for all of us. Um, <clears throat> a few hints about going back. I <clears throat> see how long this holds out. Um, first of all, the movement from here to wherever there is for you. Uh, typically what happens is uh, your hard-earned samadhi is going to start to deteriorate. As soon as you hit the highway, get on the airplane, get on the train, bus, whatever, uh, you're going to start to see uh, the decomposition of your hard-earned, wonderful meditative state. And uh, there may be discouragement or even wondering, well, what did I even waste a whole week? It just... Uh, while I'm there, okay, but now what? It, it isn't that it's gone. But uh, <clears throat> there's an important point here, I feel, that goes well beyond making our way from here, which is a, a unique set of conditions to whatever the next set of conditions, circumstance, situation, that life uh, has for you. And that is, there's a kind of wisdom that does not require deep concentration or steady mind. Of course, the steadier your mind is, and the more you're, you have an affinity with living wisely, the more that becomes natural, uh, then the more you can use it, and you'll see that there's no end to it. We were getting at some of it yesterday. Okay, you leave here, and uh, let's say it's in a car, and as the mileage ticks off, uh, you start, uh, it becomes fewer trees, police, the ambulance goes by, a Big Mac truck, stop at a toll, uh, traffic jam. Before you know it, uh, you're starting to get back into the conditions that you came from, and the concentration, the calm, starts deteriorating. And perhaps there's some suffering, more than likely. It may not be big. The kind of wisdom I'm talking about is, can happen at any time any place where you, you see, if there's even a little bit of suffering, more and more, that's the, a, uh, a signal. To be, we need a bell or a buzzer that would go off that says, this is where practice is. And you feel that, and you feel, let's say, the loss of what you've developed here. And you feel that the suffering is because you're holding on to what you had here. Or soon, here will be over, it will be past. It will be ancient history. 
Well, maybe not ancient, but it'll be history. Uh, and if you literally, the practice is saying, while at IMS, 100% totally, completely do IMS. And then once you're on the road, do driving. And then once uh, you meet your children, do parenting, whatever it is for you. Uh, so as you see, you're suffering because you're holding on to something that came about because of these conditions. And conditions are, are always a factor in what your consciousness is like until it is, they aren't. Remember, the practice goes to a place that's sometimes called the unconditioned. The name gives it away. Well, let's put it this way. Less and less will you be controlled by the environment or the situation or the conditions. Sure, we all like good conditions and we don't like negative ones. But more and more you'll find that there's a stability that isn't so vulnerable, that doesn't go up and down so completely, dependent on weather, uh, people, uh, or whatever else happens in our life. So as you see that, there's a piece of wisdom there, and that's very important practice. You realize IMS is over, the conditions here are set up, to make sure, to help us, to really settle down, get peaceful, be able to look more carefully at ourselves. We slow things down, we simplify it, and there's tremendous value in that, and now those conditions are gone. And if they're suffering, you realize that you're holding on. You're living in the past. Uh, even you might value, value, of course we value the past. That we put in a week of hard work here. And so it's this kind of uh, ability to reflect on the suffering and what brought it about. And typically, it's uh, wanting things to be other than the way they are. And the practice, the instructions, again and again, is to be fully, 100% with the way it is in this moment. And then this moment becomes ancient history, history, next moment, and so forth. Okay, so now let's say we're home. Uh, I know it's then the question becomes, uh, there are certain uh, very common questions which I'm going to attempt to answer because they are important. <clears throat> Sitting practice, many of you are rather new. Can you hear me in the back? Very last, you can? Good. Uh, it's really helpful to set up a daily sitting practice. And then the question becomes, how long? And in some would say 20 minutes, 45 minutes. I don't know where these numbers come from. Uh, it would be easier if I just said 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes at night, and just leave it at that. End of questions. Just do it. I don't, I don't feel, uh, I feel that's arbitrary. For one person, 20 minutes is a nightmare, an eternity. Remember, you don't have the group support. For someone else, you're just getting warmed up. Or some days you may have more time, and other days less time. So, Find out what your range is. And let's say it is, you find that 20 minutes is, is good for you. Go to 25. In other words, challenge yourself a wee bit, enough so that, because growth comes out of the challenge. But don't overdo it. If you overdo it, you'll get discouraged. It'll become tedious or overwhelming. And let that naturally, it will, quite naturally, your capacity to sit will grow. Uh, rather than some artificial standard that you squeeze yourself into. Uh, if you can sit a couple of times a day, I'm just speaking of a typical, let's say, work day where we all have things to do one way or another. Uh, how long? Up to you. But it's, it's really good to do that. Um, 
continuity is more important than sitting a lot one day and then letting four days go by and forgetting all about it and then, oh yeah, and then sitting again. Keep that flame going. Sort of every day it's a, a kind of mnemonic device that reminds you that how important awareness is. You start the day off that way. It's a wonderful way to start it off. Even some days when there's, you literally have just no time, you can usually find five minutes. The other is an attitude. Sitting by yourself quietly, being with yourself, to me, never was, but certainly now is not a luxury. It's not something, uh, it's, a, it's a necessity. For a human being, particularly the way our world is right now, to t- set aside some time each day to sit quietly with ourselves. I'm not uh, putting forward any particular method or school, or just to sit quietly and be with yourself. And then to go into the, uh, the day, which is usually very challenging, busy, uh, multitasking and all that. Uh, so please do that when you can. Uh, I hope you've seen some of the value of retreats. Uh, to me, they have tremendous value. Uh, it's good if you can, from time to time, depending on your life situation, uh, step out of the responsibilities temporarily for what your life requires and come to a retreat center where the time is protected and where you can do something like what we are doing today. Uh, if you can get that rhythm going, uh, that every year, every day there's some sitting, and every year, um, uh, if it's one retreat a year, okay, some people can do more, fine. Now what? We've taken care of bringing formal practice into daily life. Even in the sitting, self-knowing goes on. Take a simple thing like breath. If you follow the breath and you find that you're getting distracted a lot, again and again and again, uh, you may find, without making it a self-conscious research project, that you're typically more and more, you're getting caught up in something about the future. And someone else may find they get, they're getting distracted, getting caught up again and again and again with something that's over with the past. So it's a kind of clue. Uh, you can see there's something in the past, uh, whatever that was, or there's something in the future, very often, not always, very often it's a hint that there's something that needs attention, often not on the cushion, but in your daily life. There's something that needs to be done, you're not doing it. So it keeps coming up in your sitting, pounding at your door. What about me? And it's not just to look at. Of course you can, that's helpful. But it's suggesting there's something actually to be done in the world, in your life, or to be undone. It often is a hint. It's, it's a link from the cushion to the world. And it's saying there's something that you need to stop doing. It's not working. It's harmful. Drop it. Let it go. Understand it and let it go. And so uh, it's not as if the sitting is uh, sealed off from the rest of your life. So that learning about yourself go, uh, goes on where we, we saw yesterday, even a, you know, just moving a chair uh, can be uh, revealing. Okay. Uh, self-knowing. I hope you got the message. Uh, it's, it's not reserved for special places and times so that it's a way of living. Uh, and at first, you're going to forget to do it. I don't mean to insult anyone. I don't know you all that well. 
but if you like other human beings that I know, including the one speaking, uh, it takes a while uh, for us to really, um, for a quiet passion to grow out of doing it, uh, a passion for living our life consciously, living our life awake. One of the incentives is that you're more alive. It's more vivid. Uh, some of you have reported that. So you feel that. And uh, wouldn't you want to be more alive, or do you want to go through life half, half alive? The Chinese put it this way. If you're in a given moment, and part of you is in the moment, and the other part is distracted, they call that killing life. You don't go to prison. But you kill life in a certain way. When you're fully with what you're doing, they call that giving life to life. Uh, it says a lot. And it's just another way of saying, wherever you are, that's where, that, whatever you're encountering, that's your life in that moment. See if you can understand that in that sense, when you're doing the dishes, it's not inferior to whatever else you might think is important. It's what your life is then. If you do it uh, half asleep, automatic pilot, drifting off, fantasizing, okay, that's the quality of your consciousness then. The dishes may become spotless, but you weren't even there. We're good at it. We're good at getting things done. Enough of us is there. So a a general guideline, whatever situation you're in, hand yourself over to it. Give yourself over to it. Um, I quoted Dogen when he says to uh, understand Buddha Dharma is to understand yourself. To understand yourself is to forget the self. That's one, uh, as you start to look at what we call the self, it starts falling away. It, it isn't as solid as we think, and something much more valuable and uh, reliable is what awaits us, but it's not who we think we are. Now, when you give yourself over, let's say, you, uh, some of you are uh, uh, artists and craftspeople. Uh, we all know it. It can be in sports. It can be, in co- it can be anything. When you give yourself over totally to something, um, to know the self is, is to forget the self. In the process of 100% doing something, that self-consciousness, me doing it, is not there. If naturally, the momentum of the attention breaks that powerful machine that's constantly, I'm doing this, I, 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 me, 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 mine, my, mine. So that's one way. And the other is, more and more, Come to see the price you pay for living totally in the employ of the ego, or not, if not totally, a good deal. Uh, so there's learning to be uh, that goes on all all day long. Uh, take each situation, give it, uh, enter into it fully, and when it's over, exhale it. This is a, an ancient metaphor for the breath and what I'm saying. Uh, when you exhale, that makes room for fresh air life. You're exhaling what you don't need anymore, waste. That situation's over. Exhale it. So there's room now for the next situation. Soon it's time to exhale IMS. Not just yet. And that makes room for, I don't know what's next for you. And so it goes. Like that. Uh, And you'll forget to do it a lot. Don't get discouraged. And don't do it with a grim, uh, determined, I'm going to really get to know myself and become a liberated person and uh, it's not cod liver oil Uh, 
the process of doing it, if you really get into it, is joyful. You're alive and you're finding out what it means to be alive. Not in an abstract, philosophical way, right? It's very concrete. How are you actually living your life? Um, everything's there. So I would encourage you to do it. Relationship, meaning people with people. That's a big one. Uh, for many of us, that's what brought us to meditation. That is our inability to, to uh, do that one satisfactorily. And one of the reasons meditation is so, is so happy is that we don't have to relate to anyone. We just... Thank God, you know, no kids, no boss, no, the wife, the husband. Uh, it's a break, but then you have to relate to yourself, don't you? So, okay. um, Relationship as I mean it here, and we can include intimate, let's say, relationships um, uh, with partners, with husbands and wives, with children, parents and so forth, uh, friends, those bosses, there's a lot of energy there. It's very highly charged. We find it difficult. And the first casualty is the practice. The energy just overwhelms it. So um, one solution to that is to just um, don't care about it. Don't, don't see relationship as a practice. Just try to do, cope with it. Get, do the best you can. Uh, and then run off somewhere where you don't have to deal with that. What we're saying is relationship has tremendous dharmic value, in addition to being how you're living. I mean, if you're living with someone, isn't it important that you find some way to live with that person? Because that's where your life is being lived out. Um, If you do this, and this is not something that's theoretical, it's something that... uh, it's very strong at the Cambridge Insight Meditation Center. We really encourage people to do it. We're lay people. We spend about a, lot, a lot of our life with, in relationship. Uh, not only does it improve the quality of relationship, but it actually uh, can be a wisdom practice. Uh, let me give you an example, and also what you, may, uh, uh, what you may not see about it. Some years ago, a teacher of Vipassana who wanted to start a center like this came to Cambridge and wanted some pointers as to how we do things because he was going to start a place. And so I went through the schedule. We have weekend retreats. It's much like here. And then I said, but we, we have interviews on retreats, which are retreat interviews. They're short. They're about what's going on on the retreat. And then we have other interviews that people can sign up for during the week that are a half hour. Sometimes they turn out to be longer. Okay, And uh, so then he, he listened, and he said, uh, what do you do? And I said, well, uh, there people can talk about their sitting practice, but also we encourage them to um, discuss their life situation, but from a point of view of Dharma, from what we're learning, um, and how to apply wisdom principles to the situation that we're living in, whatever that might be, relationship. And so he got quiet, and then he said, oh, well, that's therapy. Why don't you cut it down to 10 minutes, and they can do that in psychotherapy? I said, 
well, this, uh, if there's some overlap with therapy, that's fine with me, but I'm not a trained therapist. I've had no, never been in therapy, never had, had no training in it. It isn't exactly therapy, because what we're trying to do is uh, bring relationship into the field of interest as a genuine Dharma practice uh, worthy of full attention, not inferior to the cushion. Because what it brings up is one of the main forms of suffering for all of us, the human race, that is. Now, uh, it's not couples counseling. It's not family therapy. I'm not against those. I think I've seen tremendous uh, benefit come from that, from people who've gone into that. There may be some overlap from this. It's, it's a little bit like this. When you're in a relationship with somebody, uh, whatever that person says or does, how they express themselves, produces a reaction in you. And relationships that are intimate, uh, there's tremendous energy there, and you know the kinds of reactions that can be produced, highly charged. Uh, they're reactions. They're mechanical. They're conditioned. And um, if you take that on as a practice, relationship becomes a mirror. It teaches you about yourself. Now, typically, that's not what we're interested in. We're interested in being right, and we're concerned about what this person is saying, and then we have our assertion, which is right, and they're, and they're right, and we go play tennis with each other. Uh, for the moment, the, as you know, the emphasis in self-knowing is on the intention to understand rather than to judge. As you more and more tune into yourself, you can see that's a mechanical reaction. Not only that, that mechanical reaction is self. It's me. Small things. Someone can say, um, take out the garbage. Uh, uh, take out the garbage. It's been, uh, you haven't taken it out in a couple of days. And you can feel, well, I couldn't take it out because yesterday, uh, and it may be true, but you can also feel the defensiveness. You can feel a little thing like take out the garbage. And you can feel it's coming from me. Someone is telling me to take out the garbage. Could be your husband, wife, whoever it is. But nobody tells me to take out the garbage (laughs) and lives to tell the tale. (laughs) So it's like from a bad Western. As you start more and more tuning into that, you see that it's going on throughout the day. Children make demands. Um, Here's one from a Cambridge interview. The person's not here. And, of course, I'm not going to mention the name. Problem with a teenage son. Duh, big news. <laughs> okay, the father, uh, the son is starting to become disobedient. Uh, right, okay, everyone understands. And uh, the father is not used to, he's a physician, not used to not, he's used to getting his way. Uh, take two of this, do three of that. Uh, and here is son, uh, uh, you know, the hell with you, I don't want to do that. Dad, okay, uh, and so the father then, of course, comes from that place of being upset and impatient and disappointed and and losing power, and then whatever comes out of that, it can't be so useful. Moreover, it it's uh, then the father goes away feeling terrible, how I treated my son. Oh, how can I be so? And the, but it goes on and on. Expiation, and then we do it again. Expiation, we do it again. If you could pay attention, well, actually, this, this gentleman was able to. You start to feel what is being stimulated in you. And it's in that sense, 
that relationship is a mirror. If you're living in a family, it's a house of mirrors. You're all reflecting each other back and, you know, wherever you go, button. And something about yourself is being revealed. The question is, do you want to learn it? So if more and more, if you're able to value that and be there as it happens, the power starts to drain out of it. And then he was more able to be a good father. I mean, it's an ongoing thing. I'll see him probably next week or in two weeks. Um, without it coming from so much reactivity, uh, and sometimes you have to set limits. That's part of that. That may be the best thing. But even the limits come from different energy. They're delivered in a very different way. So I don't want to... You know, you get what I'm saying, I hope. Relationship is a very, very rich source of liberation. Because me is what we're liberating ourselves from. The Buddha is saying, finally, it's all about attachment to me and mine. It's freedom from that. That's the root of suffering turns out to be that. When you're attached to something and suffering, take a look. You'll see that it's you who's attached. It's you who's not getting your way. It's you who've been abused. You, and then when you feel great, it's you who've been praised. And so the me is like the stock market. It's just going up and down, up and down. And then it's exhausting. Okay, so let that become part of your practice. Um, when we come into relationship, it's very, very common uh, for one person to be highly committed to, uh, let's say, this form of meditation or whatever, and another person not. Your partner, husband, wife, not. And is that possible? Can two people, you know, <laughs> can a meditator and a non-meditator live happily together? Yes, they can. My observation over the years is I've seen a few um, guidelines. One imperative, uh, the meditator has to re- respect the right of the non-meditator not to, me- not to meditate. The non-meditator has to respect the right of the meditator to meditate. Uh, if that happens, it's possible. Typically, I'm not saying always, typically the big problem is the meditator because we've discovered something new and fantastic and incredible and now you got to do it. And if you don't do it, you're inferior, you're stupid, you're opaque, you're, uh, you're suffering a lot. I mean, I, I don't suffer anymore. Uh, you know? <laughs> uh, and if you don't think your partner feels that, you become a missionary. You don't have a little white collar and a hat, but you're a missionary. And, and then it becomes, then the partner suddenly becomes political about what they don't want to do. Okay. So don't peddle Buddhism. Don't peddle, but be a Buddha. That's, uh, 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 I, don't know, that it, it's, I don't mean self-consciously. Be an understanding, um, open person. Uh, and watch for that, especially those of you who are new. Maybe some of the old-timers, you've already learned this, and you're worn down by it. You realize they're not going to meditate. Just give it up. Look, my wife doesn't meditate. I'm vegetarian for about, oh, I don't know, going on 40 years when we started living together, I opened the refrigerator, there's half of a dead chicken, you know. <laughs> you know. There's uh, smelly, salty Russian fish. Uh, and there are my nice, cute, sweet, clean vegetables. You know. <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, did I like it? I didn't. 
was I trying at first to sell Buddhism, vegetarianism, who knows, fasting, what, yoga? Uh, she tried a little each. Didn't want, doesn't want any of it. Heart therapy is shopping. <laughs> okay. Uh, and at first I felt, uh, what does that compare to deep meditation? You know. <laughs> but I know she comes home happier than I am after. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, um, you get my drift? Yeah. Now, also be careful about this. Sometimes there's some problems in the relationship that have nothing to do with whether you meditate or not. And the meditation is used as a political football, a distraction, where you, this is the problem, but really there's something else. Or the person is afraid that you're going to become a monk or a nun, or you're going to go away for three-month retreats, leaving them alone, or all kinds of fears. Um, or there's really something having nothing whatsoever to do with Buddhism, meditation, veg- not, vegetable, nothing. It, it has to do with something that has not been dealt with in your relationship, and this is another way of distracting yourself from it. So be careful. But um, the respect I found is, is crucial. If you can't, you have to learn how to allow the other person to be who they are. That's just general. And meditation uh, is one way in which that can be uh, tested dramatically. Uh, during the day, don't forget your old friend, the breathing. That is, from time to time, turn to the breath in the midst of daily life uh, because it has a way of being so simple and it's recurrent, it's natural. In, out, in, out. It's always there. I don't mean uh, become obsessed with following the breath all day, but from time to time, especially if you feel the mind becoming emotionally complicated, complex, and suddenly you're, you're but I have to do this, but what about that? And how about in, out? It has a way of bringing you back to planet Earth and just being right there in the moment, and then taking care of whatever needs to be taken care of. It's a way of implementing a teaching that is so precious and so easy to underestimate. Fortunately, I got it many years ago. Keep it simple and stick to the present moment. You know, if you can just remember that, it'll take you a long way. Because typically, what we're living by is make it complicated and forget about the present moment. The future that we might is always going to be probably better than what I have now. And we're always lurching forward. Even when things are good, somehow it could be even better. We're always using something to get somewhere else. Um, What we're learning here is to honor our life as it is in this moment. And then that moment changes, of course, and then we move. Um, Guidelines from the Buddha... to his son, Rahula. Very briefly, a guide to live is reflect on what you're doing. Now, again, don't make it, uh, you can't, it's like the centipede. If you start looking at all your legs, you, you're suddenly uh, incapacitated. But start getting a sense of uh, what's behind what you're about to say or what you're about to do. And what the Buddha suggested is, if the action uh, is beneficial at first, you're not doing it. Let's say you're planning. Beneficial for yourself and for others, then do it. If in uh, getting a sense of it, you realize it isn't beneficial for both of you, don't do it. Okay. 
this is what is called skillful. Uh, an action that's beneficial for you and for others is called skillful in the, in the Buddhist way of looking at things. An action that's harmful for you and or others is unskillful. Then let's say the action happens. You speak or you do something and you thought it was going to be helpful, but in the midst of it you find it was a mistake. You were wrong. Arrest it. Stop. Don't, don't let pride get in the way and have to finish something even though it's, you can see that it's, it's, it's not true. Uh, apologize if you have to. There's, there's nothing degrading about apologizing. And uh, I thought this was going to be useful, but I really see I'm, it's not. Or even just to yourself. You're going in a certain direction verbally, and you realize this is not uh, appropriate. I'm hurting the person. Redirect it. So it's being sensitive as you live out your life and learning as you go. It's no final, get your degree and you're finished. Okay, now you've mastered daily life. I don't see how you can. There's always death waiting. And as one Zen master uh, put it, he was asked, well, uh, what's it like for a Zen master? What's the Zen view on dying? And the master said, how do I know? I haven't died yet. <laughs> okay. So it's, life is, a, is a bigger than any teaching. And it's messier. And it's uh, unknown. And it's uh, uncertain. We don't know what's next. We know things are changing, but we don't know how or when. Uh, tsunami, where did that come from? Well, for the people living there, it came out of nowhere. But there are little tsunamis going on all day long all over the planet. So part of why we're learning how to uh, not attach is to be supple, flexible, so that as life changes, we can move with it rather than getting stuck dancing to one song again and again, even though the music keeps changing, wondering why no one wants to dance with you. Um, let's say you do the action. Of course, you say it's, it's beneficial. You carry it out. It is beneficial for you and others. Fine, great. Then now and then, you may reflect back and realize, you know, in the sh- it looked like it was good, but when I look back now, I realize it was not skillful. It was turned out to be quite harmful. I did my best but I was wrong. Feel remorse if that's what you feel. It's not to put a guilt trip on you. Uh, And learn from the remorse and then move on. And that's not a bad, it's a simple scheme to help you with living. Just don't become too rigid with it and obsessed with it. Uh, Is something beneficial or not? Uh, It's just common sense in a way, which can head off a lot of of problems. Um, Attitude, finally, and then we can have a period of any questions? It's not stuff we can talk over. Uh, very, very important is a change of attitude. We've been hinting at it here during the retreat. Uh, the truth is, we don't feel that our daily life has the same value from the point of view of Dharma as a long retreat or sitting in meditation. We have to use the precepts, don't, you know, minimal attention, but we don't understand. Or for all kinds of reasons, some of which because it's hard. That is, uh, relationship is hard. If you want to, but it can be. We're, we're learning the art of living. You can't learn that art totally on the cushion. If you think so, full speed ahead. I have not seen it possible. And this is even no matter how deep and committed you are. So the art of living, so much of it is learned in the midst of living while you're living. And it, it includes making mistakes. 
It includes correcting mistakes, being willing to learn from your mistakes. That's intelligent. It's the beginner's mind, keeping a fresh mind, coming to situations uh, without so many assumptions, coming to people without so many assumptions about who they are and how they're going to behave. Um, And finally, it comes down to this for me in terms of practice, our practice. Uh, The world of release, of liberation, is right smack in the center of our tears. We don't want to have tears. We want to be free and somehow jump over whatever it is that's causing the suffering and be happy and so forth. But the liberation is right there. Uh, The liberation, uh, the the release happens right in the messiness of our life. Those are the perfect materials to work with. That's a radical change in attitude because our main attitude is to get away from anything that's difficult, that's not the way we want. We call something a problem, and then our focus is always on solving it, the solution. And we don't really even look at the problem adequately because we're so obsessed with the solution. We're in a hurry to not be troubled. Slow down. Uh, it's a, seeing, in a sense, uh, the dignity of life. And the, hun- the thousand sorrows and the thousand joys, uh, awareness, choiceless awareness, what we were learning, this, uh, where you're learning how to be with every different kind of state that comes through the mind, um, as we get more and more at home with that, that's meant to be applied in daily life with all the different things that happen in our life. Um, And more and more understanding that uh, there's a richness in just living itself. If you're going to really bow down to anything in a certain way, it's not the Buddha, it's not me, it's the life itself. But you don't have to physically bow, it's by in a way, the whole thing is infinite respect. The respect for everything, including your suffering. Respect for nature, people. Uh, not, do you see what I'm getting at? It's a, it's a different attitude. You can help it along. If you don't, there won't be any potency to the practice in daily life. And it'll, again, become confined to formal practices. Okay. Bring them both together so that the formal practice and daily life coexist in a beautifully, don't even coexist, they're one thing, it's one stream, it's all life, life in the form of sitting, life in the form of doing the dishes, life in the form of hugging your child, and it keeps going like that. Okay, anything on your mind? We have time for a few questions, please. What's the question? Keep it simple, stick to the present moment. See, let's say when you have, when people go, oh my God, 
uh, we're moving. I, I've got to get the movers. I've got to unpack. I've got to call this one. I've got to, you know, and there are a lot of different things you have to do. Stop. Be with a few breaths. Start. Start packing. In other words, take it moment by moment. Take care of business. Now, sometimes, uh, you, uh, let's say you have five minutes. Uh, sometimes you do have to do a few things at the same time, but you know that that's what you're doing. But what I'm getting at is that we're unconsciously, uh, uh, obsessively spending, we're repeating it over and over and over again, what the seven things or whatever that is. Um, sometimes to be effective while you're taking a shower and you know you're going right from the shower to some important meeting or, or uh, it isn't, life isn't so neat and tidy. That's what I was trying to say. Now, when you, is the question about the cushion? Um, whatever you're saying, it happens now. See, thinking makes it sound like it's seven different things. All, but the truth is, in that moment, what is happening? It, it's, it's observable. It has to be. It might be confusion. Like, well, which one do I do? It might be um, tremendous impatience. It might be anxiety, probably anxiety, at least sometimes. Uh, that's what's happening in the present moment. Uh, the present moment is what it is, that's all. Uh, I, that's not satisfying, but I, I, I can't do any better. Try If I'm not answering it, please help me. Period. That's what, what no, I, I'm sorry to be rude, but that's what's happening in that moment. Okay, keep going. Then you, okay, then, then you're not meditating at that mo- in that moment. Okay. But it's not about always the breath. It's about thinking about going to, you know. In other words, one practice is the breath. The other practice is being whatever, with whatever is happening. There are two practices that we're uh, weaving together. One, exclusive attention to the breathing. That develops concentration, calm, steadiness. If you've set yourself that practice, be clear that that's what you're going to do in that, during that time period. Then, then everything is a distraction that isn't breath. You come back. But if it's the other, uh, then there's no such thing as a distraction. Because whatever is happening, that's, that's what you're attending to because that's what's, ta- what's taking up the moment. There's no place you're supposed to be. That's the power. Am I making some sense? Just concentration practice. So then, then it's uh, then just come back to the breath. Ah, that's what you don't like. <laughs> yeah, maybe two million. Okay, uh, I understand. We all know that one. It can become tedious. That's why attitude, again, is so important. Uh, the coming back, we tend to think of, if only I can be really on the breath, in, out, in, out, ah, nice and calm, peace. And then, and then we're distracted. The dog, woof, woof, whatever it is, you're okay. Uh, if only that didn't happen, then I could really practice. The distraction to the dog is, is the practice. The coming back is why we're practicing. If you could just be totally steady on the breath, why would you need to come here? You're just red-hot attention. And then all we have to say is, okay, enlarge that now and bring that quality of attention to every aspect of your life, both on the cushion and off. Uh, 
check in with me in five years and let me know how it's going. Uh, you see what I'm getting at? Yeah. So we have to soften that. The mind is, we don't want to break the spirit of the mind. So it's gentle. We're distracted, we guide our attention back. We're distracted, we guide our attention back. I think Michael and I emphasize that aspect of the coming back a lot. But awareness of unawareness is practice. In other words, you notice you're not with the breath. That's good practice. Uh, And the coming back is an essential part of, you know what would help, I hope, this helped me a lot some years ago. Friend's child was just at that stage learning how to walk. We were sitting watching. And the child, you know, excited, had full of wonder, which we unfortunately lose so much of as adults, uh, starts walking and falls down. Uh, gets up, starts walking, falls down, falls down. Falls. The joy is still there. And it's not going like, I wonder if the other kid's my age, you know. You know. <laughs> How many times did they, they fall down? You know, like, uh, when am I going to master this, for God's sakes? You know, and the adults, they're having a good time, but I hate this stuff. Okay. Okay, the child is just doing learning how to, how to, how to walk. And the process is, uh, everything that we're emphasizing here is the practice is, it's our, our life in that moment. It's a process. And that can help... Uh, prevented from uh, or minimized the t- t- tendency for it to become mechanical and tedious. When it's becoming tedious, it's a good sign that you're probably, you're, the quality of your awareness has fallen off. You know, it's sort of like, in, out, in, out, you know, right? In, out, in, out, in, out. Uh, and then wake up. Bring in beginner's mind again. Yeah. Please. I'm not a couples counselor. Okay. I really am not. No, no, here's what. I, no, I'm not going to give you nice words about what. I'm, okay. Okay. Well, I didn't like what you had to say. How do you feel right now? How do you feel right now? Yeah. I. Oh, okay, go ahead. I'm trying to act it out between the two of us. Tell me what you have to say. Okay, okay, okay. We don't need a new... In- See, I'm... I do oh. Got it. No new instructions. Keep it simple. Stick to the present moment. The person says something to you. You feel the word ridicule, but not the ridicule, the energy of it. 
the practice is exactly with that. It's now, I'm not going to tell you what to say or do, but I have more confidence that you will have a better chance of saying and doing something that is more useful if you first take care of your, na- your reaction, which is feeling humiliated. Uh, that's exactly what I'm saying. That The natural reaction is you defend yourself. And then uh, if you're kind and considerate, you may overdo it and back, say, well, I don't want to hurt that feeling. Uh, maybe swallow your ridicule, you know, so you don't offend them. Uh, people have all kinds of ways, anything but, but starting where you are. Where you are is you feel ridiculed. Okay? Uh, not the word, but the energy of it. Feeling it. Now, as you more and more are able to you understand that is what our practice is. Uh, wherever you are, that's it. That's, that's what's... Uh, more and more, if you practice it, you're more able to do it. It's like anything else. If you don't, you won't learn how to do it. If, you're in, if you have incentive, you will. Be, be aware of, of your... Of, yeah. Now, uh, when you, the awareness more and more is able to be with the humiliation, remember... Uh, being aware of, wh- of what is transforms what is. There is, uh, even transcends it. Everything that the pre- we've been talking about all week has been about come back to what is, come back to what is. I mean, the fact of now. The, uh, what makes it a, a spiritual or a Dharma practice is, is by coming back to, to now uh, with awareness transforms or, or even transcends now. So the where- awareness is an energy. And the more you develop it, the more it matures, uh, the more refined it becomes, the more subtle it becomes. In this energy field, the, m- the more refined is the more powerful. The more coarse is, not, is l- much less powerful. As the awareness, it's, think of it, here's the awareness, it touches, it, not out there, it touches the humiliation, not the word, the energy. Throw the label out. And the w- mindfulness has an effect on what it touches, Beneficial. Uh, one, one of the main things that happens is starts to take the power out of the humiliation. Now that's a tough one. And maybe you can't do it right there in the midst of it. You may have to do some work at home or whatever. But if you get in the habit more and more of, the, of turning to what this is bringing up, uh, the awareness transforms the energy of feeling ridiculed. Uh, you can feel the muscular tighten up, the feeling vulnerable, defensive, angry, hurt, whatever it is, but not the words, the rawness of it. As that starts to lose its potency, even weaken a little bit, the next moment is a moment that's a little, possibly uh, you're able to have a response, not a reaction. A reaction's mechanical. It just, it's like you, uh, you uh, prick someone, they bleed. It's, it's <clears throat> a response comes out of beginner's mind. It comes out of a, a, and at first it won't be completely beginner's mind. Uh, and a response is fresh and more likely to be appropriate for what's happening, wiser and kinder. Let's put it that way. Yeah. One last question. Please. Absolutely. So, and it's being in a way? It is being employed in a productive way. That's what brought you here. See. So, so no, I, so, but of course, I'm learning the same thing. I think it's 
Ah, yeah. Can I can I give you uh, this is one uh, my sense. It's not just mine of the the way the Buddha taught. There have many been many many enlightened people. Uh, Buddha is one of them, one of the great ones. There've been other great ones. He may be one of the really greatest teachers because he left for us a legacy of very concrete things to do and where and help. Even 2,600 years from now, even if you had no commentary, you could try to piece together something that could be helpful. I had to do that. There were no teachers when I first started out, and it still was helpful in my ignorance, just reading it and making goofy sense out of what it was. It still was helpful. Here's what I'm trying to say. It's a very realistic teaching. Step number one, of course we're egocentric. We all start that way. And then we get this high teaching and we all want to get a PhD before learning how to write. Uh, It doesn't work that way. So step number one, we understand that uh, we're, we're trying to get free, we're trying to get rid of suffering. Who is doing that? I am. But it's a, a wanting that's in the service of, it sort of self-destructs, but, it's, but not right away. Uh, so that the, you need energy. It has to come from someplace. And you want to be a good yogi, right? You want to be a good meditator. At a certain point, you realize the problem of meditation is the meditator. It's the whole problem. Because the meditator is just the ego camouflage as a yogi. That's all it is. It's sort of, it is plastic. It'll just want, whatever you value, it'll go there. Uh, But then as the practice unfolds, it gets more and more refined. So you you let go of more coarse attachments. And then there are still some others that are less coarse. And then they're let go of, and then they're let go of, and then they're let go of. Uh, And so the freedom that we're talking about, you don't walk, come to IMS and, uh, try to practice with that. It would be an impersonation. Uh, yet, so it's, it's to become nobody. Happy is the person who's nobody. I mean, real love exists when I'm not there. I'm getting in the way. Me. Real beauty is available when me is not there. I don't know if I'm making sense, but I'm trying. Um, so be patient with yourself, but notice uh, the the egocentric energy that's driven like take out the garbage or how you handle your, your child and you can see where that's coming from in that moment you've started to um, de- use modern language deconstruct that sense of me a little bit and little by little uh, we st- it starts a meltdown as one uh, teacher put it uh, Buddhas and sentient beings that is people who are not Buddha not, not awakened it's like ice and water. Uh, we start out as ice. It's the same substance, only it winds up being water. So it's, the awareness is uh, melting down this hardness, this coldness, this rigidity, this separation, this dualism. And, all. and so at a certain point you realize meditation is really understanding the meditator because that's me trying to do this beautifully. I'm going to end with a Jewish story. Uh, this is the High Holidays, and I know some of you have heard this more than once. If you want to tiptoe out the back door, <laughs> yeah, I, my feelings won't be hurt. Um, it's a good story. That's why it's, I, I learn from it again and again. Uh, and 
uh, everyone is all dressed up, including the rabbi and the assistant rabbi. They're in their finery. And the rabbi gets up and says to the whole congregation, and this packed, he says, I'm a nobody, I'm nothing, I'm just a zero. And everyone is just so moved and impressed. Our rabbi is so humble, he's just nothing. Oh, isn't he wonderful? Then the assistant rabbi, also beautifully dressed, gets up, says the same thing. I'm also just emptiness, there's nothing here. I'm just a nobody, going nowhere, blah, you know. And everyone is, oh, we're so lucky to have these two, our assistant rabbi. Then the janitor comes in, in his overalls, and he says, uh, I'm nobody too. I'm just a, a complete emptiness, a zero, a nobody. And then the rabbi and the assistant rabbi, irate, turn around and says, look who thinks he's a nobody. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So it's going to try to survive right to the end. Yeah. Can we have a few moments of silence, please? May we continue to look into ourselves. May we see things exactly as they are. May such clear, direct seeing free us. Michael and I would like to thank you all for the hard work you've put in, especially some of you new folks. Um, You've been beginners, but you really want to begin, and so uh, we understand you stayed in there. And of course, the award goes to this gentleman, Paul, who read a book, Joseph Goldstein's book, on Friday night, is this correct? And then turned up on the retreat, never d- meditated, in a, uh, whew, and he's still here. <laughs> uh, I think we had a nice little community going for seven days, uh, and now we go back to what most meditators call the real world. It's just the next stage in living, that's all. Okay, thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.